Thank you for tuning in to Game Investing Radio. Hopper here, and this one is going to be long and complicated because it's a personal story. Um, just got off the phone with an incredible collector and uh, really, really good guy that uh, asked me some personal questions that really took me down memory lane all the way back to the 60s, 70s, 80s. And um, I realized that collectors, investors, gamers are interested in people's collecting history, collecting origin stories, collecting in general, the holy grails, all this type of stuff, because it gives us a window into what type of, I guess, connection is what you call it now on social media or Basically, where your collecting history overlaps, I think, because I remember early on he said, oh, you came from sports cards. But later on, after we connected over several different topics, he said, so tell me about your real collecting history. So I was thinking, you know what? It might be time to disclose this. I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time. I didn't know if I should do several episodes because I wanted to talk about gold mining in canada coins magazines floppy disks gaming music cards and then video games so i mean i could even throw cars in there because i bought and either driven into the ground or even got one repossessed but probably two dozen cars in my lifetime so i guess technically i'm also a car collector but hard to say what collecting really means to me because I don't have all the stuff that I collected. I have a little bit of it. So what I'm going to try to do is go through the decades and tell a bunch of collecting stories. So it all started back in the 70s when I was a little kid. And I'm guessing that before Game & Watch, before Pong, I'm thinking I collected pocket change. And I'm thinking I probably pulled out I have a really good eye for detail. I don't know where that came from, maybe because I'm half Japanese, but I think early on in my life, I think I pulled out silver dimes, maybe, maybe a quarter here and there. And I think I started with a small coin collection when I was probably, who knows, five to 10, maybe. Um, I don't know if that's considered a collection, but I think I was definitely collecting. Here's the thing about that. Um, my dad's side of the family came from gold mining. And I don't know if it's in my DNA or not, but I've always wanted to find something. I guess that's a little different than the hunt. The, the retro game hunt definitely is all about that. But the hunt can be satisfactory if you don't find something. For me, it's like I need to find something and make that kill like I was talking about in the other podcast episode about hunting and gathering. But, um, you know, with my family deep into gold mining, even one of our family members got killed at a gold mine. And I think my grandparents either met at or spent a lot of their early years on a gold mine. And uh, my dad dragging me up to the Yukon in Canada. I mean, we 
we went through a nasty boat ride. We went through, you know, a thousand, two thousand mile journey in an old truck way before the internet and GPS and paper maps and, you know, fly by night roads where, you know, there was no pavement and rocks were coming up into the windshield and we were sleeping in the back and camping and hitchhiking and making our way up to a gold mine. And, uh, I think at that point in my childhood, I think I started collecting a little bit of gold. But, you know, later in life, I don't know where all that stuff went. So I'm not the type of collector that held on. I've always been more into the, I guess, discovery and adventure. So I think the first collection was a small collection of pocket change and maybe one little container of one gold nugget and maybe some uh, flakes and powder that I had gotten from that gold mine up in Canada. Shout out to uh, my dad for taking me up to the Yukon. Um, that could be a book in itself, but we have, we have to move on. Um, I think by the time I got old enough to ride mini bikes, motorcycles, anything with a motor before I got my license. So I'm guessing between 10 and 15 maybe um there was a period there was i was really into motorcycles especially dirt bikes not street bikes so off-road basically stuff you could ride on the property i grew up on five acres luckily so there was always a lot of land my neighbor you know he lived next to a, like a 40 acre field that was pretty much there for the taking so we would do everything from ride motorcycles to horses to to camp out there with waking up with uh, cows licking our sleeping bags and kind of grew up in an adventure mode um, type of climate. And we would jump our motorcycles, take them into ditches, you know, go through the mud, go out during the rain and storms and see what we could do. So I was really obsessive about machines and I collected um, Dirt Bike Magazine, I do believe is what it was called. I could consider myself a hardcore magazine collector back then because I had stacks and stacks of dirt bike magazine. Then I got my license and I think uh, I got obsessive about uh, like the JC Whitney catalog. I got obsessive about auto parts, catalogs or magazines, both. And because I was rebuilding a car and building a muscle car, like Frankensteining a, a little subcompact into a, a muscle car with a big, big engine in it. And I did everything from the transmission to the drive shaft, to the rear end, to the springs, you know, radiator, you, you name it, I replaced it. And, um, back in the day, there was no internet and, and YouTube or Google. So really the only connection to the outside world I had growing up on a dead end road was kind of magazines and catalogs. So you know, I ordered my Atari 400 out of a catalog with a tape drive, and that uh, was my only gaming console to date. Um, and I pretty much ordered most, well, not most, some of my car parts, because I would go into town and buy car parts at the uh, auto parts shop. But uh, I would fantasize about all the cool parts I could put on my motorcycle or, you know, my car and and I would just look look at these magazines for days. I think at that time we didn't have TV. We never had cable TV growing up. We didn't have a shower either. We just have a bathtub. And, 
yeah, I mean, I grew up in a tiny little farmhouse. So most of my entertainment was outdoors. So indoors, stacks of magazines is what I remember. Um, when I got rid of my muscle car, I went into a little Volkswagen Rabbit back in the day. It was like a 77. And I remember I even started collecting um, VW magazine or something like that. Um and I was always fantasizing about doing an engine upgrade and lowering the car, new spring suspension, you know, all that stuff. It was pretty hot back in the day. I would say, gosh, maybe late 80s, early 90s or something. So by this time, I had given up gaming. Um, but that brings me to tapes and floppies because I've been flipping stuff for 35 years and my first flip was dumpster diving. There was this company called Mag Media and my high school buddy found out that they used to throw away all their floppy disks that didn't pass like quality control. So we would go up there and dumpster dive and get stacks and stacks of floppy disks. And by this time I'm heavily into the Atari 400, you know, it was a different vibe back then. We didn't care about boxes, artwork, genres, characters, gameplay, graphics. All we cared about was gaming in the arcade, spending every single penny we have into machines we've never seen before, you know, sound, new sounds and just action basically in the arcade. And then when we ran out of money, what were we to do? Well, there was no Nintendo. You know, we didn't have enough money for cartridges. There were no GameStops, Blockbusters. All we could do was really um, go for the Atari 400 and 800. I think maybe one person had an Apple II, which was like a Cadillac back then. But all my tribe had uh, Atari 400s and 800s. And um, the reason was we, we could game for free. Um, you know, we were living at home with our parents. We didn't have to pay for electricity. There was no internet bill. Basically, if you had a tape drive, you could copy tapes for free. So it started on cassette tapes. Gaming, you know, first-gen gaming is basically your parents didn't know what video games were and didn't play them. So I started collecting cassette tape games probably, I'm guessing, right around 80 or 81 too. I'm not really sure. I know I ordered my Atari 400 and it came in a box with the Atari cassette tape drive. I think it was like a bundle and it just changed my, my whole world. You know, I was like, whoa, I can like play games from a cassette tape. This is so cool. I didn't mind waiting five minutes. I didn't care about the graphics. I didn't care about the game or the artwork or the genre or the characters. I just cared about, hey, I could game for free because I was used to saving up for three weeks, you know, five, ten bucks and dumping it all in the arcade in an hour or two. So I was happy with the, the low quality games on the Atari. No problem at all. I spent most of my time collecting anyway. Didn't really have time to play the games. We were busy driving and, you know, making phone calls on landlines and, and trying to set up times to meet each other at each other's houses to uh, figure out which games that he had that I didn't have or which games I could give him uh, that he didn't have. And it quickly went to floppy after I upgraded to like an Indus, I think it was called, um, five and a quarter floppy. And that really changed the game because, you know, you could carry around like a hundred games in the trunk of your car, or maybe even more than that. I don't remember how many I carried around in my friend's house. 
but I remember driving it, you know, anywhere from Silicon Valley all the way up to the North Bay and, and, uh, collecting games from friends and, and always going over to their houses. And I don't think anyone came to my house because I lived way out in the sticks, but I would go to a lot of people's houses. Um, I think my mom signed me up for a computer science class in San Francisco one summer. And I met, I met some people down there and I was able to kind of use that network against my Sonoma County network. And I was always the guy that had like a lot of games so I don't know if that's collecting more than like, hmm, connecting. Anyway, I I drove a lot of miles in my car, probably from like 16 to when I went off to college, 18. So I would guess basically 80 to 85, I was hardcore gaming, hardcore collecting on floppy, some tape, and... Um, I built up a collection of over probably about a thousand games all on floppy handwritten labels. You know, I don't remember a single box, a single CIB, a single NIB. I don't remember any artwork for any games. I don't remember ever playing Pac-Man or ET and my memory of the gaming industry or whatever the gaming crash. It never happened for me. I was a first gen gamer and gaming was, adventure discovery and all pleasure for me i i don't remember hating any game i don't remember disliking any game i mean some i would play more than others but gaming was just so innovative and new it's kind of like saying i hate the internet i mean or i hate the telephone that's how innovative and new it was it, it was like we didn't really have time to get picky about a publisher or a character or a license or a box art or a genre or print run or a variation. We were just looking to game as cheaply as possible. So I guess I was collecting free games. And that brings me to the night. <clears throat> Excuse me. That bring. let me get a drink here. That brings me to the 90s. So I went off to college. I loaded up everything I owned in my car except my Atari 400 and games because I was shy. I was a virgin leaving school. My girlfriend in high school was Ultima 1. I played um, a tiny bit of Zelda and, and Mike Tyson. But other than that, gaming was out of my life for decades once I hit college. And uh, my life changed again. I mean, it was all about friends first off and then you pretty much got interested in what your friends did some of them were watching tv that didn't look too fun and others were partying and to me that was where it was at and uh i fell into like friends partying a little bit of sports and just being really active in a college town that was really vibrant out on the west coast and um became a huge college basketball fan because my best college buddy introduced me to the NBA when Michael Jordan was going, you know, against Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And those three were, you know, vying for 10 championships. And it was just an incredible time to be a basketball fan. So I basically put gaming in the closet for a long time. And then I jumped on the sports card bandwagon when I I think I ended up going into a Costco, which was called Price Club back in the day, 
probably early 90s and I bought a box of sports cards for like five or ten bucks and I'm all what a light bulb went off in my head and you know I'm like hey you can get three Jordans per box you can get you know three Tim Hart you can get all these rookie cards that doesn't make sense it seems like you can pull twenty dollars worth of material out of a five dollar box so you know here I am I had dropped out of college I was on my college buddy's uh, couch trying to scrape up some money to get back into school. Long story short, I had to go to another school. It was very complicated, nine years. But I uh, I kind of fell into, hey, let's open a card shop. So I scraped up 700 got off my buddy's couch, signed a lease for a tiny one-bedroom apartment, worked my ass off, built some glass cases, turned the front room into a card shop, and we just plastered everything we owned. I think we collected posters and stuff at that time, put it on the walls and uh, opened uh, Isla Vista's first sports card shop. And I fell into sports cards and I don't want to go into it because there's so much pain and challenge and setback and failure that it would take up a whole podcast in itself. And I did think about writing a, a book on sports cards. I did think about doing a YouTube you know, channel on sports cards with 25 years of experience in four stores and export and distribution and this and that and all the pain and pain and pain. But I figure, you know what, what value am I going to add if it's all pain and failure? So, you know, drama, drama, drama and sports cards. It wasn't really a deep collecting passion type of thing. I went into it because I saw it as a way, well, hey, I could get into business I was a huge basketball fan. We could do something that nobody was doing because everyone was doing baseball cards. We could do basketball cards. That was my passion, basketball, watching basketball, following basketball. So we became, uh, our catchphrase was your sports card information source. So I guess I was collecting information at that time. That's kind of what I'm doing today. We were collecting, we were broke. So when you walked into our store, we had the best glass cases. We had, you know, the most vibrant atmosphere in the college town. We have the most knowledgeable owners because we knew our sports. One of us was a football expert. One of us was a baseball expert. One of us was a basketball expert. I was the statistical expert. So we knew sports like no tomorrow, but our inventory was weak. I mean, it was pathetic to be honest. So at that time I was collecting information. We had set up three TVs in the back. I had clicked clipped the cable on the roof and we were tapping in and splicing in four CRTs. So we were watching four games at a time and we were following everything in sports. We were living and breathing sports for several years. And, and, uh, I guess I didn't really collect cards. I mean, basically all of us put all our cards into the store and, it was inventory. So we weren't personally collecting stuff. I mean, anything good was going to get sold to, you know, pay for a dinner, pay for the lights, maybe some rent. Um, yeah. And it got so bad. I mean, I think three of us were living in the back and I'm talking 300 square foot in the back, one little bathroom, couple like lofts and then 300 square foot in the front for the shop. So Talk about running a business on a shoestring. Now that I'm doing this podcast, I guess I was never really a sports card collector um, until maybe Ichiro came along at my third or fourth store and I started collecting Japanese players. But to be honest, I had a pipe dream that uh, 
long story short, in my second card shop, I was exporting to Japan and that just blew up in the Asian financial crisis. But there was a moment there where Noma was really hot and I wanted to, my fantasy was to go to Japan, do a card show, hook up with other exporters. So technically I was collecting Japanese inventory for a while. Uh, before 9-11 came along and the Gulf War destroyed the sports card industry and three to 5,000 card shops closed across the country, including mine. And um, that was pretty much the end of my bricks and mortar, you know, road of collecting stores. So I guess I was never really a true sports card collector. Now, when I was over in Japan, I think throughout the 90s, I was a music collector. And the reason was I had started collecting vinyl in, gosh, I'm guessing maybe early 80s because it was, it really exploded when I got my driver's license. And like I said, no internet, no YouTube, no Google. So, you know, for us to discover bands, there's no Spotify, there's none of that. It's like you listen to the radio and we were listening to this uh, station out of San Francisco called KSF out of the university. And they would have like once a week, they would have a, I think a heavy metal show. And that's where we first heard Metallica's, I think four song demos. And these were like the first four songs that Metallica put out before they had an album, way before they had an album. I mean, they were just a, a little, you know, party band and uh, they somehow got on the radio. We found out who they were and it opened a whole world to us, a, a genre. I guess it was my first genre and it was heavy metal. So I got into music naturally. My parents uh, were musicians, but like most kids, we go against what our parents did. So they were into classical and Middle Eastern and flamenco. And I was drawn to like aggressive heavy metal because I was pretty much an angry kid. I'm, I'm still dealing with anger issues today, but you know, I don't know where it came from. I've always been kind of angry. So I was drawn to like Iron Maiden, Metallica, Judas Priest, uh, you know, Scorpions, a little bit of the we call them pop bands like Van Halen and, you know, whoever. But, um, you know, boombox in the back of the uh, hour bus ride to school, long hair friends and smoking pot, cutting class. I had buddies like that. But I was, I was truly, I think out of all the things I collected, I think I was truly most passionate about Iron Maiden vinyl and rare vinyl that i mean you could say rare today but i'm talking about stuff that might cost 10 or 20 bucks um something like a picture disc or like a single or something like from japan with an obi on it so i technically was a collector of vinyl probably in the early 80s and and we would drive like we would drive hours to find record shops and just flip through the uh, the racks of vinyl and and try to spend her ten or twenty bucks, but I remember you know it would only last like an hour or two. I mean it was 
it was quick in the store, so it was mostly a fantasy world, kind of like me in the magazines. I was living in a fantasy world most of my life. I was collecting in my head. I was collecting information always. I think that's what's drawing me in with this video game investing thing is there's explosive information coming at me every day on Instagram, Facebook, eBay, Amazon, Heritage, Comic Collect, uh, Comic Connect, Certified Link, etc. But as I look back on my whole life of collecting, I realize coming out of poverty, no health insurance, no shower, you know, Frankensteining a car, spending all my money on gas money at the arcade or on vinyl, I guess most of the collecting went on in my head. I was collecting fantasies. I was collecting like want lists in my head of stuff that I wanted that I never could buy and I still haven't bought to this day. Um, and I remember one of the ways to save money in music was I think I gave up on vinyl after I went to college because I just didn't put it in that car load that drove me down to college. I think I left out gaming and music. I mean, but I think about that time CDs took off. So somewhere in there, when I dropped out of college, I went to Japan, which changed my life. And I went to that infamous town called Akihabara. And this is way before I knew about retro gaming. And no, I didn't look at any video games in Japan when I had gone over there 10 times growing up, 70s, 80s, 90s. But I remember buying DAT tapes, and I did have a DAT recorder. And I got pretty hardcore when I had done my teaching gig over there and got my first, you know, I wouldn't say real money, but some money in my pocket because I was uh, working for the uh, Board of Education and I was getting a decent two grand a month or something. I think rent was maybe five or six. So I had, you know, I had an extra 500 a month. And I remember over in Japan, this would be 95, probably six. I remember putting together a large collection of DAT tapes because I could dub just like I did with floppies and cassette tapes on the Atari, not the 2600, the four and eight. Um, I was able to build a nice little library of uh, high quality dubs of CDs that I would either rent from shops in Japan, which was really cool, or I think it was like 300 yen on, for every few nights, so like three bucks. And this was back in the day when CDs were like 15, 20. Um, or I could, over here in the States, I would uh, borrow like my sister and friends' CDs and dub them. So DATs, digital audio tapes. So that was probably the biggest dollar collection I put together before WADA hit me hard around May of this year. So um, I guess true passion was music and then looking back at tapes, floppies and DATs and CDs, I guess I was a dubber. So I remember I enjoyed like handwriting the labels and like looking up information on the albums and i guess i was always collecting information about collectibles 
So that probably brings me to WADA and VGA and retro gaming and game investing. And I have two minutes left, so got to make it quick. Long story short, from like 95 to 2020, that's 25 years. Um, I guess I've kept food on the table by flipping. So during that time, thanks to a friend suggesting getting looking at the Wii, I was doing laptops at the time in Vegas, and that was a pretty good business before tablets pretty much wiped that one out. But she suggested looking at the Wii, and that's where I started um, buying and selling factory-sealed games. And I didn't know a lot about the gameplay or the genres and all that, but I did learn a lot over the years, you know, handling, buying, processing, receiving, shipping, purchasing, financing, 25,000 factory sealed games. And um, I wouldn't call it collecting because it was inventory. And um, I I jumped into WADA in early May, but what I need to do is look up Ultima, which would be my uh, holy grail, Ultima 1, which I can't find on eBay. So I'm looking at my spreadsheet and it looks like I bought Exodus for the Atari 400, 800, 1200 on May 7th. So technically, I started collecting again in May of 2020. At the same time, I jumped heavy and hard and dropped, you know, 50 to 100 grand on credit cards into graded games to open up a whole new world. And here I got 30 seconds left and... I just turned 53, let's say, three, four days ago and jumped into retro collecting. So for me, collecting has always been a mix of inventory, information, um, you know, pieces that I would be willing to let go of. I don't know if I'm going to let go of Ultima, but uh, maybe I'm collecting again.